Hey guys, what's up? It is week 311. One more week and we will have hit the six-year anniversary. It's pretty crazy. Let's hop into the reviews. And the first up is from Arrow Video. And this is 1976 Hand of Death. This is a Golden Harvest slick. Not a Shaw Brothers, a Golden Harvest. Um, and this has a few names that I think most people that are interested in Kung Fu or Asian cinema would uh, know for sure. First and foremost, it's directed by John Woo. And this is before John Woo did stuff like Hard Boiled and The Killer and, of course, his American output like Hard Target and Face Off. You know, this was kind of early in his beginnings as a director. It also has Sammo Hung in here, which is awesome, and Jackie Chan which is great. It also has some more familiar people that uh, some of the hardcores would know for sure, but like face value, just name recognition, everybody would know is Jackie Chan, John Woo, and Sammo Hung, which is awesome. So The Hand of Death is obviously a period piece, which most martial artist movies from the 70s and 80s and 60s would be, uh, the Golden Harvest and Shaw Brothers stuff. But So essentially what we have here is kind of, uh, it is a very typical story, but uh, it does have one of my favorite kind of styles or plot structure, where we have a group of individuals who are all, you know, basically wrong, by this dynasty, you know, overtake crooked, crooked politicians. They they kind of destroy this guy, this whole kind of uh, peaceful uh, group uh, in the very beginning, and somebody vows revenge. But uh, along the way, he finds a bunch of other people that are willing to help him because they want revenge. And we have this ragtag group of people at the very end facing off against a group of villains that were all kind of pre-established. So the main villain is awesome, but he has two henchmen, and they're really heavy, uh, kind of big guys, brothers. One is played by Sammo Hung. He's kind of the leader of the guy, um, the baddies um, in that way. And he has these buck teeth. He's, he's awesome in it. And then he has eight bodyguards, which have all these kind of unique styles. They're matched off in two. So they established, along with his army, established all these characters that are like in their own martial arts techniques and everything like that. So the main character you see in the very beginning, he really doesn't have much of a chance. Um, at first, he tries to infiltrate the gang unsuccessfully, and he gets hurt. But along the way, people help him, including Jackie Chan, where we get flashbacks of why he's willing to help him, among others. And all these characters are really badass. They have these uh, amazing little backstories. The score sounds straight up like a spaghetti western, and this one has a lot of similarities to spaghetti western. You know, that random ragtag group of people going on a mission or a war film. It's very much in that kind of vein. The music's excellent. The fighting is is really solid as well. But this one really has a nice, like, kind of emotional core with a lot of great characters and a lot of good villains. And like I said before, it, it's really just kind of the 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 teams of characters that really make the movie. I mean, and so many nowadays, uh, like a lot of films now um they they do i know somebody was complaining that the video game kind of saying something's like a video game is kind of a lame critique so let me get in a little bit more detail the thing with a lot of older action films and martial arts films was they had side characters they had little mini bosses or, or tiny characters within the movie that you see in the background that are established spaghetti westerns are infamous for it so are a lot of the kung fu martial arts films these characters have these faces they're character actors and the uh, character martial artists and they're throughout the entire like movie and you see them in the background they have their little moments to shine and a lot of the action movies and kind of martial arts films now not all um there's no side characters there's no little tiny characters it's just a blur it's a blur of of cgi bullets and machines bumping into each other where there doesn't seem to be stakes because you don't know who anyone is or what anything is. That's that's how I kind of feel. These movies have a little bit more personal. They give the characters little moments to shine, and it really works. You know, there's a point in this film where Samuel Hung actually 
is seeing the main character being tortured and he has a moment of kind of shame because there, you know, is a, it's a long story and everything. And he obviously wants the guy to give up because he doesn't want to see the torturing. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was top notch stuff. I loved all the characters. Jackie Chan's really excellent in it. Samuel Hung is hilarious as the kind of goofy villain, um, with the buck teeth that obviously they give him the prop to work with. Um, there is some features on here. A lot of them are archival though. So ported over from old releases but we have brand new feature at commentary by martial arts experts frank jan and michael worth from hong kong to hollywood an archive feature on john moore's early career including interviews with wu chow young fat and peter lao that's good stuff chow young fat's a very intelligent person never before seen archival interview with uh star tao tao long filmed by former student michael worth audio uh, archive interview with co-star Samuel Hong, alternate credit sequence, and countdown to Kung Fu. Um, and then we also have some, you know, commissioned newly artwork and that kind of stuff, as well as uh, different languages. I, I really like the John Woo stuff because so many people know Hard Boiled and The Killer and even, you know, uh, Face Off, but it was nice to see his early career starting off in the kind of Golden Harvest kind of style films and uh, seeing him talk about that stuff. And they have, like, clips from other ones, like uh, the Chivalry one. I can't remember that name. But hopefully Arrow puts out some of his earlier stuff. I mean, I still would really love to see great editions 4ks of the killer and hard-boiled and the better tomorrow but hey we might not but this is a great film this is a great start this is the hand of death i would recommend checking this one out if you guys have not seen it okay this next uh set right here is going to be a doozy i watched all four of them i had seen one before but this is from 88 films it's an amazing set and it is in the line of duty one through four of course, the first couple star um, Michelle Yao, um, and the second two star Cynthia Khan, I believe. So let's let's break these all down and do them all separate. This comes with Royal Warriors, yes, ma'am. Um, in the Line of Duty 3, In the Line of Duty 4. Now, there are more In the Line of Duty movies and kind of like spinoffs and everything like that. The series gets a little complicated. And only 3 and 4 even share any of the same characters. A bunch of them share the same actors. So that's when stuff starts to get very confusing. Um, Royal Warriors is technically In the Line of Duty 1, although Yes Ma'am was released first in 85, Royal Warriors 86. So let's hop into Royal Warriors. And I believe that who directs is David Chung. And he did another movie that 88 Films put out called Magnificent Warriors with Michelle Yeh and that's this really fun kind of Indiana Jones style movie with martial arts great stuff so Royal Warriors this one was a blast and you'll catch a theme with all these this one opens up with what is an amazing hijacking scene on an airplane and uh, that's the one negative you could say about Hong Kong action films is most ha about half the time they start off with one of their best scenes in the movie, if not their best scene. And you're kind of waiting to get to that level again. And you do get there to a certain point, but ne maybe never. Sometimes you don't. But Royal Warriors opens up with this amazing scene where you have a, a pair of cops on the on this airplane along with uh, the Japanese detective as well. And you'll notice it's kind of in a, a couple of these. They'll have a lot of Japanese characters kind of mingling in here, maybe to be a more you know, uh, I guess international because the Hong Kong film, they want to appeal martial arts to maybe Japan and some other parts of the country, international flair here. And a lot of them do jump around a couple countries here and there. So what we have here is this prisoner. He's being transferred. He has a couple cops with him. And another guy is, sneaks on board, sneaks some weapons on board and starts this kind of break, jailbreak at like 30,000 miles an air, whatever the hell it is, feet in the air, you know that old saying. But anyways, it becomes insane. 
of course, the crazy kind of stuff starts to expect what you would, you know, plane windows being broken out and people being hit in the head with fire extinguishers. Regardless, is a very violent, very intense scene. Um, the one thing about a lot of these movies is innocent bystanders get hit, get shot, get killed, and it's pretty brutal. Um, the action is amazing. You can imagine that uh, the detail of action in this stuff probably took days to film, just uh, the fight scenes itself and the, the, the shootouts and everything. But that scene right there is amazing. Michelle Yao is great in here. Um, both her partners are too. Uh, and, and basically what happens is they didn't realize who they were messing with. And it turns out that there is these four uh, kind of blood brothers that were not blood brothers, but they had this bond and they were in war together. And you kind of see a flashback with that as well. But these guys are, you know, closely knit. They have a pact. And when a couple of them kind of end up on bad circumstances, the other guys show up too. Uh, yeah. And so basically it's a war against these police officers. There's tons of people getting shot in the crossfire in this film. And it ends in one of the most ridiculous, insane kind of set pieces um, in a junkyard. You know, it reminds me of the Fernando Del Leo movie, right? Remember the one where they have like Woody Strode and I think Henry Silver are both in a junkyard. And there's, yeah, that one's pretty intense. I don't remember what it's called, but that's one of the more popular Fernando Del Leo movies. Um, but this scene is pretty intense because one of the characters uses a chainsaw. You're like, only in a Hong Kong action film would somebody come at somebody with a chainsaw and it not be that big of a deal. But, uh, yeah, this this is a really entertaining one. The flashbacks are great. The action was great. Michelle Yao whoops ass. And it seems dangerous as hell. There's always a couple moments in this film where I'm like, really? Jeez, that's happening. It's just a really intense movie. Um, the bad guys are great. I like that they have a reasoning. It's a kind of a revenge tale. A lot of these movies are honor and revenge and stuff, and just, you know, somebody killed somebody, so I'm coming back with this. As far as the special features are concerned, we have um, the two Cantonese mixes, an English dub, and then the new English dub. Then we have uh, audio commentary by Hong Kong film expert Frank Jin, missing aeroplane inserts, Cantonese trailer. Now, the commentary is good. He explains the history of In the Line of Duty films, tells you which ones went in order, and all that kind of stuff, and all the players in here. And there's so many people with name recognition, and they, they look familiar to me, but I, I know a lot of American and maybe Italian actors in that sense, but you know a lot of the Hong Kong you know character actors and martial artists are a little bit too new to me maybe only a few years old I, I recognize him but I don't know him by name yet and he goes in and breaks all these people down and who they were and what they are from and all this kind of interesting stuff but Royal Warriors really excellent stuff and I had seen Yes Man before but I had not seen this one I'd recommend picking it up sounds great looks great tons of great action if you're a Hong Kong fan I think you will like it okay the next one in the set here is Yes Man and I've covered this one before this one has Michelle Yao and Cynthia Rothrock in here and I love this movie this movie is fucking awesome and uh, rewatch watching it i enjoyed it even more this is directed by Corey yoon who did dragons are forever the one with jackie chan and sammo hung which is a really cool flick and he also did the legend jet lee movies um fist of the legend i believe which are both really cool movies and he did a slew of other ones i think Corey yoon is probably the biggest director out of all these who did the Atlanta duty movies but uh this one is a classic 1985 um the main villain in here has this like 1980s style laugh <laughs> like that he sounds like whirlwind from the avengers video game it's funny because i think the same actors in royal warriors need us the same fucking laugh so essentially what we have here is 
this this kind of story is kind of complicated. So we have this diplomat who has this, uh, is supposed to sweep something under the rug for these criminals. He doesn't do it. He's assassinated. Now Michelle Yeoh knows this person. They're kind of dating. He is killed in a violent death with an apple shoved in his mouth. And there's a group of kind of low-level thieves, uh, one of which is Troy Hark, the director who did stuff like uh, in, uh, First Encounters of the Deadly Kind and uh, We Are Going to Eat You. And he's he's an actor in a bunch of films. He's a, he's a pretty prolific Hong Kong director. And also the other actor in here is a major producer, had his own company. He's actually interviewed on here. He's also pops up in, in First Encounters of the Dangerous Kind. So like, yeah, it has some memorable faces in here. So there's like three of these guys and they're low-life criminals, low-life criminals, and they steal his passports. They don't know he's dead and some money. And what happens is the criminals are looking for something that this guy had. He had this microfilm that was very condemning of the crime boss. So they realize who has the microfilm in these low-level criminals. The police are onto them. So everybody's kind of after them. And it play, becomes this crazy game of cat and mouse. There's some really amazing scenes with Troy Hark because he's kind of a, a schemester selling people really shoddy equipment. He's like a low-level criminal, you know what I mean? Like come in, sell you guns, sell you bombs, fake bombs or whatever. And his his whole room is rigged to be like kind of booby trap. So there's these amazing choreographed stuff where he's like switching around the fence and getting away from this guy that stuff is brilliant must be really hard to do very comedic at the same time in fact all three of those kind of low-level criminals are have like a comedic edge to them they're constantly bickering but they have a bond and you can tell that now michelle yoon and cynthia rothrock are both from two different countries uh cynthia rothrock comes in as from scotland yard and they immediately butt heads you know she doesn't get along with michelle yoon because they have a different you know kind of process and cynthia rothrock is just more aggressive wants to whoop ass get confessions out of people get this case done but uh through circumstances is they somehow start to respect each other. And that's a great moment. Um, there is an amazing scene where they're both kind of uh, resigned because what they're doing is, is crossing the line and the, the bad guy is very rich, very powerful. And uh, Michelle Yoon's driving away. She's about to, and Michelle, Cynthia Rothrock gets out and they look at each other and they get in the same car. And later that scene, like their kind of bond is kind of solidified when they're about to do some badassery and one looks over and sticks their hand out for a five and the other just not even look at Bob, gives a five, and then you know the ultimate showdown's going to happen. Happened. Rothrock and uh, Michelle Yao beating up a bunch of bad guys, uh, a couple of which are pre-established kind of badass goons that are in some of the other movies as well. There's this ridiculous cartoon-style character they call like Mad Dog, and he's got this mustache. Insane. But uh, this one is, the fight scenes are brilliant. The end fight scene is amazing. It's one of my favorites. All the bad guys in here, the glass breaking, it's just a brilliant scene. And the very ending of this movie is so much darker than any of the other in the Line of Duty films. It is something that a lot of, you know, mainstream action films, American action films, or even any country's action films, wouldn't have the guts to do. I feel like it ends on somewhat of a downbeat, somewhat very downbeat, but realistic kind of ending. You know, uh, taking the law into your own hands and, you know, sometimes doing what for justice or revenge, you know, gets you in some deep shit. But uh, it's an amazing film. It's a vastly entertaining one. I think this is a brilliant one. Uh, I quite like it. And I do see that you know some of the cast is and then dangers of the and dangerous encounters of the first kind, which I really think would be amazing Blu-ray release. That's such a great film. It's such an underrated film, an underseen film. I know a lot of people have seen it, but it's not talked about. I don't know. It just do yourself a favor and watch that one on YouTube. I know it's there. Um, but yeah, there's tons of features on here as far as different mixes, theatrical mixes, Cantonese, all that stuff. And then we have interview with Cynthia Rothrock, which was really great to see. Obviously, we've heard her talk before how she got her start and everything with Samo Hong. Select scene commentary with Rothrock, interview with uh, Mang Hao, archival interview with Michelle Yao, archival battling babes featurette. Anyways, this is a fantastic movie. It looks good, sounds good, and uh, these two together, you can't lose. 
is. I, I wish that in the line of duties followed these two characters throughout the series. That would be probably a little bit better. But hey, we get what we get, and this one is my favorite of the four, I think. Um, the rest all kind of around the same, but this one stands a little bit above the rest. Yes, ma'am. All right, next up is In the Line of Duty Part 3 with Cynthia Khan. Now, I was a little disappointed to see Michelle Yao was not returning, but Cynthia Khan is very entertaining as well. She's also a badass. Um, this one actually has um, a Japanese actor in here who is, um, who's he play? Um, he plays uh, Kamen Rider. So the first common rider is in here. And so, yeah, we have, again, a kind of a crossover here. We have these international thieves, and they're super badass from Hong Kong, and they end up stealing something and killing this Japanese partner, this guy's Japanese partner in Japan, this cop. So he's, he's got, you know, he's completely just messed up. Like, you see him interact with, like, his partner's kid, and he's just not there. He's completely unhinged. Anyways, these thieves are kind of jumping around, and they come across Anthony Khan, and she wants them. The Japanese police officer is kind of going the whole Brannigan, you know, John Wayne, or Dirty Harry, completely, you know, out of his element, different country kind of deal. Shouldn't be doing this. That's why it matches up more with Brannigan. And he's running around trying to kill these thieves at all costs. These thieves are highly dangerous. They do not care about anything, and they're terrorists. They're there to kind of provide money so that the the communist, kind of red communist extremist party can buy guns. And that kind of reminded me somewhat of, you know, Black Sunday by John Frankenheimer, which I watched a couple weeks back. You know, you have the duo of Bruce Dern and uh, his, I can't remember the actress's name there, and they're trying to, like, just could cause as much damage to the United States as possible. These guys are trying to buy guns and that kind of dual partnership here. And they're ruthless. They're completely ruthless. And the one scene when they rob this like fashion show and take all this jewelry, they just waste tons and tons of innocent bystanders. It's horribly violent. There's so many people caught in a crossfire. It's, it's really well done. It's really intense. It's really amazing. Um, and that happens throughout the movie. We have these constant run-ins with them where innocent bystanders are getting gunned down. And we have this group of cops that are after them at all costs and necessary uh there's a great car scene chase where uh one person is in a medical ambulance and let's just say that it doesn't end too well for those people but that's a really great scene uh, of course you know there's all sorts of like craziness is that this one with the yeah this is definitely this one i'm mixing up three and four because we have a lot of the same characters but that that's just amazing when we have that kind of medical scene here uh, at the very end and again like one of the characters in this film kind of just like checks out when you don't really expect it with uh, almost unceremoniously which is the only thing that i would kind of like eh but but uh, this one really is one of the craziest kind of like innocent bystander people getting wasted, high-paced car chases. And Khan can strike. She can do martial arts with the best of them. Um, again, vastly entertaining. And the very opening is a great scene where um, they all open up in amazing scenes. You know, Yes Ma'am has the, you know, the bank robbery. The, and then the first one, uh, Royal Warriors has the amazing uh, car hijacking scene. And this one has the jewelry heist. All of them had these great scenes. But there's this really funny scene earlier too where this asshole guy is just parking legal and he's like I don't give a shit and then like she has to save his life and she's like scum like you it's just a good kind of little bit of revenge there as far as the special features are concerned again we have a interview with a John Sham and John Sham is the one who had this uh, production company I can't remember DMB which you've seen produce tons and tons of these movies uh, involving Troy Hark and all those kind of people and he talks about his career and he says he was more of a producer than he was an actor and that's really interesting and stuff and how he got involved with all these movies and everything he says I might come back to produce a, a film here and there 
but he's fairly retired now. We also have an audio commentary, Frank Jen and Michael Worth. Um, and yeah, interview. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. I think that John Sam should have been on Yes Man, but that's okay because he's in that one. But he's a unique kind of character actor. Anyways, this the the villains are interesting as well. They give them little nitbits, like one of a uh, little kind of character uh, traits and everything inside of them and, and motives and everything. But this one's really good. And uh, geez, I can't think. There is like a third villain who's also an ultimate badass in here, and he pops up, and he's in he, the first two movies, I believe, as well as a badass. And this guy knows his martial arts. He's a great villain. So this is a great one too. Um, I thought I would be really not enjoy the ones of not Michelle Yoon. I was worried, but this one is almost just as good. Um, it's as good as Royal Warriors for sure in the line of duty three. Okay, the final one in this set is, of course, In the Line of Duty Part 4. Uh, again, Cynthia Khan comes back as the same character. And this one's a bit different. So this has Donnie Yen in there. Um, there's actually an interview with Donnie Yen on here, which is nice. And Donnie Yen talks about how Hong Kong, you know, uh, they always took it above and above and above and above, no matter what, always went above and beyond. But anyways, this stars um, uh, Cynthia Khan, Donnie Yen, and a couple other familiar faces here. So this one's a bit different. This one... Uh, Basically, uh, Cynthia Khan kind of helps out this, this guy helps her out when she's undercover and she kind of forms this kind of shaky friendship. This guy gets accused. He witnesses something he should, you know, that kind of storyline, right? Like the rear window, you see something you shouldn't or whatever, you know, it's not exactly a rear window, but you get it. You know, you see something, a bad guys are after you. It's typical. Um, nobody, the fugitive, I guess, too, in a way, you know, you, you're framed for something you didn't do and you're, you're running away. Dragons Forever has that kind of same storyline, right? So, uh, Cynthia Khan is, uh, basically trying to protect this guy uh, as he's accused of murdering this agent, um, this police officer that was undercover, but he really witnessed some crooked FBI agent. So he's kind of screwed on this. Uh, Donnie Yen is a police officer as well, and he's very aggressive, and he doesn't believe anything this guy's saying. Uh, Khan and Yen have to kind of have this shaky team up. Uh, of course, they're going to come to find some mutual respect for each other. Uh, there's another character in here, and there's a great reveal about all these characters and everything like that. The one thing that I really enjoyed about this one is that there is a group of like kind of ex-military guys that are supposedly dead, right? But uh, they died in, in PO, missing in action kind of steal, you know, stink extreme prejudice, right? These elite kind of mercenaries, but they're supposedly dead, dead uh, you know, uh, body never recovered, yada, 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 but they're really just secret agents and they're working for the CIA guy. And there's like a handful, five or six of them all really memorable. And throughout the movie, they're kind of having these run-ins with Khan and, and, Cynthia, uh, and, and Donnie Yen. And at the very end, they kind of just square up with a few of them and they all have their own like kind of, their fight fighting traits and everything really entertaining stuff especially the giant guy at the very end that's a great fight scene with him and Don, donnie yen uh but yeah this one's really entertaining really good stuff kind of like you know uh wrongfully accused kind of character running away trying to survive um i don't know if it's my least favorite because they really make up for it with a lot of the villains popping in and being unique and different and memorable so that kind of adds an element of uh, that i enjoyed so I, I really did like this one as well all four are pretty great um like i said all of are worth watching I know there's a part five, but I don't necessarily know um, what year that was made. I'm dropping all the supplement stuff out here. So this has a nice booklet, poster, all that kind of stuff here. Um, the booklet has all sorts of stuff. That's really nice. Uh, yeah, from 86, 85, 88, and 89. Um, goes through all this stuff here. It's a really nice booklet. You'll see it down below. 
But uh, yeah, anyways, this is a great set from 88 Films. I'm really happy with it. Uh, so I really would recommend uh, picking this set up, honestly. I think you guys will really enjoy it. All right, speaking of Michelle Yao and some martial arts, we're going to talk a little bit about everything, everywhere, all at once. Now, this is a pretty big movie, won a lot of awards. Of course, it has um, Michelle Yao in here, and it has geez, Jamie Lee Curtis, and it has a guy from Data from The Goonies, and he's also in Temple of Doom. I cannot remember that actor's name. He's in a bunch of stuff, though. He's, he's pretty great, to be honest. And he kind of steals the show in here. Also, is James Hong, which I love seeing in this movie. James Hong is a veteran actor. He's in stuff like Big Trouble in Little China, uh, The Vineyard, which he actually directed. He's in a slew of movies. But Michelle Yao, of course, uh, martial artist, actress. Um, so this movie is pretty wild. It's, it's like two hours and 20 minutes, and I wasn't sure... If I was going to get invested, I heard a lot of good things, and you know Jamie Lee Curtis won some awards. But this one is really touching, entertaining, funny, disgusting. It's kind of everything, you know. It's a multiverse movie. Um, it's kind of like the multiverse non-Marvel movie, but kind of in that vein as well. A little bit more heartfelt than the Marvel movies, if you ask so ask me. Um, so basically, what we have here is Michelle Yao and her husband run this uh, laundry mat. They're very busy. They they do like a lot of washing. They're also having tax issues and everything like that. And uh, basically, the husband's unhappy with a lot of things. He seems to kind of like they just live to work. The daughter doesn't respect either of them. She's kind of wants to do her own thing. She's she's a lesbian, and you know, as much as Michelle Yao says she you know supports her and, and everything, she seems to be embarrassed with her father coming to from from mainland China and everything like that. So it like complicates everything. Um, at this point, she goes in to talk to the tax lady to file and everything, a business file, and everything's messed up. It's Jamie Lee Curtis, and uh, she seems kind of awful, but at the same time, she does seem to have a heart. Um, and she's a pretty weird, bizarre character. Anyways, what happens is, like, partially through this, like, tax meeting, somebody, uh, like, her husband kind of switches completely and has this, like, he's kind of electronical gear and everything, and he tells her, you know... Um, there's a multiverse out there and you can do these one or two things and you really should because you need to save the entire multiverse. So what happens is we find out that there is tons and tons and tons of infinite amount of Michelle Yao's or everybody in the universe and they all have different paths and different walks of life. Kind of like the butterfly effect issue, right? When somebody does something that's just minorly different, it changes the outlook on everyone. So in different worlds, there's a, a martial artist, Michelle Yao. There's one that tons that didn't get married to this and start the laundromat. So we have all these different varieties of these people and they all have different kind of lives and everything. And they all start to mingle. But what's really cool is you can kind of do these jumps, I, I would say necessarily where you kind of download the information from another one of you in a different multiverse so if you're like i need to learn how to hack a, a you know a crack a safe you would find a version of yourself in the infinite universes that can crack a safe but uh this kind of like stems out because they're constantly jumping in, in kind of a way it reminds me of slaughterhouse five where uh billy pilgrim never really knows what time he's in but this is what place you're in um and, and time i guess in a way although those were delusions this seems to be obviously not a delusion but uh, there's all these different kind of lives and styles and she meets all these different versions of her husband and her father and all these people and her daughter and the villain is an excellent villain it's a, a kind of a metaphor and it's really touching and there's moments in this where you know it really got to me where i got teary-eyed because i'm a big baby and i i enjoyed it the martial arts stuff is really fun the story is intriguing and it doesn't really bore me it's two hours and 20 minutes or so maybe even longer but i was um, 
completely happy with it. It's an hour and 39 minutes, so about two hours and 19 minutes. Completely intrigued by the whole thing. Michelle Yao is excellent in it. Jamie Lee Curtis is pretty funny in it. The husband, I think, is, is amazing as well. James Hong, amazing. Uh, the daughter is pretty solid, too. But there's a couple uh, kind of small characters in here, which I laughed. Rata, ra, Raccoonie. Raccoonie is ridiculous. But, no, I noticed that the guy from... Um, uh, every uh, what was that show um, with the comedian? Oh, geez, it's on Netflix. This is such a terrible, vague explanation here. Sergeant Crashmore or Detective Crashmore. It's a skit on this television show. He was in this, and I was like, it's a Detective Crashmore, and I started laughing hysterically um, that he was in here. He's really good in it. No, but there's a lot of side characters, and obviously they get multiple different universes and everything, and and that's just a, a really kind of a um, excellent way to show these different diversity in characters, and you know, just the idea that you know maybe you have regrets, maybe you don't, uh, maybe sometimes it's worth being this. Uh, it's just, uh, there's moments where I literally teared up and I couldn't help it just because sometimes you feel like maybe you wasted your life. Maybe you could have done something more with your life, or maybe you could have stopped something that you should have stopped or done something a little differently, all these kind of outlooks, or maybe you're scared of losing what you have and you can't imagine your life without said someone or, or this way it happened, all these kind of things and the interesting kind of stuff here, you know, like, like it's so many different outputs, you know, and millions of different infinite universes. It's kind of the stuff you and your friends have conversations with when you're like 17 18 you're like what if there's a universe where you know or what if everything's the same except this one little thing all that kind of stuff right um playing with the multiverses is a very fun thing like even the time machine story um what is that um it, it, the simpsons parodied it it's the ray bradbury story right where the uh where they have just a little ripple in time changes absolutely everything but uh yeah this one is a really excellent entertaining movie Everything, everywhere, all at once. Highly recommended. 4K looked good. Sounded good, of course. It's a newer film. They usually do a pretty decent job. But excellent stuff. Loved it. All right, guys. We're going to hop into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell. Because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. In this little town, when the 14th comes round, there's a silence and fear in the air. Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there Or oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. All right, and the first one up from 1981, directed by Jeff Lieberman, who did stuff like Squirm and Blue Sunshine and Satan's Little Helper, uh, as well as Remote Control, directed this bad boy just before dawn. That's right. It's been a while since I watched this one. I remember watching the old uh, Shriek Show, Media Blasters, uh, di- Double Disc, and I remember liking this one. It's been a long time, and and over time, I wish I would have revisited it, but of course, it's got George Kennedy in here. It's got Greg Henry. It's got freaking uh, Mike Arnold in here, which I completely forgot about and was very happy to see. It's a 1981 slasher, but it was kind of started made before like there was a big slasher boom, because it's it's not, it is, yes, it is technically kind of like a slasher. Um, now, it would be thrown that but it more is like a exploitation kind of deliverance style story than anything which a lot of slashers ended up being um so we have these kind of city slickers going into this mountain area where George, greg henry kind of he inherited some land he is a young rich kid and there's like five kids all going into these woods two couples and then like a brother of one of them and they're going to kind of check it out um Originally, they stop, um, and George Kennedy is the park ranger, and he says, you kids don't want to go up there. He does the classic Crazy Ralph, but obviously, he's a little bit more sane than Crazy Ralph. He tells him, he's like, what, why are you trying to scare us? He's like, no, I just, and he says, well, at least tell me where I can come to find your, your bodies when you go missing, all this kind of stuff like that. So they they end up going up there, and we know there's a bad juju up there because in the very beginning of the film, we open up with this really creepy scene. There's a lot of genuine creepy, scary moments in here um, because the character, the the killer in this movie, is kind of this inbred character. I am going to spoil just before dawn, and I'll let you know before I spoil it. But so um, basically, the the killer in here is this kind of inbred character, and they have this weird whistle. And it goes throughout. When you hear that, you know that they're whistling. You know they're, they're whistling out loud, and you can just hear it. It's very creepy. But in the opening of the film, uh, Mike Arnold and his nephew are getting drunk. Mike Arnold is basically from Sleepaway Camp. If anybody's ever seen it, he's Mel. Uh, he's amazing in it. Meg, oh Meg, and he's also in stuff like The Incident. He's in a, and, uh, Midnight Express. He's a really good character actor. So basically, him and his nephew are in this kind of church with a, a hole in the roof, and they're kind of screwing around. He's like, "Ah, Sarah," and he looks up and he sees uh, this kind of like big mongoloid-looking guy. Sorry, that's kind of the '80s whole slasher term, you know, with like for Jason Voorhees, all them characters. 
characters, uh, humongous, all that stuff. Looking down at him, and he's just like, he gets freaked out before he can do anything. His nephew's dead. He runs away into the woods. And he becomes more of a crazy Ralph character, too, because he warns the kids, but they won't listen, of course. And uh, so, so there's that amazing scene in the opening. Uh, basically, it is a little slow. You know, there's not that many kills, but there's genuinely creepy moments in character development. And you just see the character kind of in the background all the time, just this big kind of scary killer just goofy and weird and just and and of course the ending is really memorable a couple of the kills are really uh kind of devastating it's not overly gratuitously gory film but it is a pretty creepy suspenseful horror film good slasher as well the scores uh who does the score somebody it's it's a good score too i can't remember it's somebody with a huge with a name that you'd be like oh yeah yeah oh it's brad fidel i believe it i haven't even looking at it if it popped up brad fidel i believe did the score who did obviously the terminator and uh fright night so it's a great score and kind of getting the spoilers here and this kind of shares some dna with another slasher from 1981 hell night right Hell Knight has the two killers, and uh, this would go on to have a couple killers in here, right? I, I love that. And it's not just a group, you know, like your kind of Texas Chainsaw or Hunter's Blood where you expect a group of them. It's more just you think there's one, but fuck, there's two of them. Um, uh, so that was really entertaining. Same thing with Madhouse from this year. So I, I really dug that element. And the whistling, you hear it. You can only imagine that the two twins are whistling to each other and there's a great scene when uh one of the characters goes by and he sees a pair of twins these kind of young girls sitting in a car and they're kind of backwoods and everything and he says why so many twins around here another gemini why so many twins and you kind of realize and greg henry makes a comment they're inbred you know they're inbred and it kind of explains everything here right we have these kind of big kind of crazy monstrous twins that are whistling to each other and just being really gross and goofy and killing anyone who goes into their woods um, even if they own the property. Uh, as far as the release is concerned, there's a theatrical and extended cut. The extended cut looks really awful. Um, it's 10 minutes longer. It looks rough. It's mostly character development, from my understanding. I don't know if I've ever seen the, the extended one. Theatrical flows a lot better. Um, when I originally saw this movie, I thought it was a little slow. This time it flowed really well, uh, just straight in, straight out. I know it is not the most fast-paced um, slasher movie in the world, but I think it genuinely is uh, really well done, and I really enjoy this one. So it's Just Before Dawn, directed by Jeff Lieberman. As far as the special features are concerned, we have, again, the extended cut and the original uncut version. Brand new interviews with Greg Henry, who I enjoyed hearing talk about this one. Chris Lemon, Jamie Rose, producer Dave Sheldon, includes vintage feature it's interviews with Chris Lemon, Dave Sheldon, Jamie Rose, John Hudsaker, and writer Mark Arwitz, and original theatrical trailer. Greg Henry was a great interview, and Jamie Rose I really enjoyed as well. They're, they're pretty uh, intriguing. There's nudity in here and you know some sexual stuff too, so it is kind of a, in the vein of the 80s horror film. So Just Before Dawn, great stuff. Had been years, and I'm glad I got to revisit it. Okay, the next one up from 1981, of course, is Home Sweet Home with Jake Steinfeld, right? Uh, Body by Jake as a mad slasher. Now, this did make the video nasties list, uh, maybe because the use of PCP, maybe because uh, they just knew it was a slasher, maybe because they had to watch the damn thing and got irritated. Now, this is a holiday horror film, which is kind of big for the early 80s after Halloween, of course, you know, Black Christmas 74, Halloween 78. And then in like 1980, we had a bunch of them too. We had New Year's Eve. Evil. We had Terror Train, all kind of taking place on holidays. 81, we have Halloween 2. We have Happy Birthday to Me. We have My Bloody Valentine. We have Hospital Massacre. All these kind of 
have these holiday bent kind of things. And um, even to All Good Night, the year before from 1980, uh, prom night. That's kind of not a holiday, but, you know, it's a special occasion. This time around, we have a Thanksgiving horror film. Now, people are like, hey, there's not that many Thanksgiving horror films. And there really isn't. We have Thanksgiving 1 and 3. And we have the trailer for Thanksgiving. We have a couple newer ones and everything like that. So there's not really that many Thanksgiving horror films. I believe there's Home Home, Home for the Holidays, what I believe is Thanksgiving one. Is, is that the one? So anyways, uh, Home Sweet Home. You know what's funny? I'm looking at all the movies I haven't seen. Dave, you haven't seen freaking Sunset Boulevard, but you've seen Home Sweet Home three fucking times. This is the third time I've watched Home Sweet Home. Now, most people consider it a really bottom-of-the-barrel slasher. This time around, I didn't hate it. I don't know what that says about me. I, I think it's grown on me over time, just seeing it so many times. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's shoddy. It's produced by Don Emmons. Don Emmons directed Ilsa, and he worked, produced Ilsa movies. He directed Terror on Tour uh, from last year, which is pretty abysmal slasher movie, pretty boring, uneventful uh, kind of rock slasher deal. Um, this one... Uh, typical story follows uh, an insane asylum escapee and Jake Steinfeld. He's on PCP. He's hulking and he goes on a kill crazy rampage and hilarity ensues. He's not a very convincing actor when he speaks but he has some really funny moments uh, when he's really intense and says some really silly things um, like oh, cutter. He's just overacting. It's ridiculous. He makes Lyle Aldonzo from Destroyer look subtle uh, but he doesn't talk very much. There's a lot of ridiculously annoying characters. The family is not very likable. They're constantly bickering. They're constantly just doing dumb things like, I'm going to get gas or I'm leaving. I'm going to watch the football game because the generator's out. There's a lot of conveniences. They probably are more noticeable as you see more and more slashers and you're just like rolling your eyes. But hey, there's a ridiculous character that is a mime with a guitar that's annoying everyone. And when he dies, you're kind of like, I loved how he died, which is very funny. Probably got the best death in the movie. Like I said, uh, this is not the most... Um, interesting slasher movie but it's not the worst it's very by the numbers but it's also kind of a nice little look at uh, the idea you know at early slashers it's kind of generic but also funny because this, the killer it kind of makes it not generic because it's literally the guy by body by jake running around hulking killing a bunch of people um like i said most of the kills are meh um the two cops in the movie are probably the better actors of the bunch the little girl in here there's a little girl and she basically went on to be in stuff like hocus pocus and a slew of other films you'd recognize her what is it vanessa uh, shaw yeah she's familiar but really there's not that many familiar names in here don evans plays a role in the film himself um regardless home sweet home it's never had a really nice release kind of shoddy bottom of the barrel budget dvds i have a bootleg no use of showing you do i have this uh on uh VHS. If I do, I'll show it in the thing. I actually don't think I have Home Sweet Home. I have a couple kind of odd ones still. I have Home for the Holidays. That's what I have, but no no Home Sweet Home. But uh, yeah, it, it's entertaining in the kind of bad way. I think that a lot of people get a kick out of it. Is it the worst video nasty movie? No, it's not. It's not the worst video nasty. And I guess that says something. It, it's, it's bottom tier. What's worse? Don't go in the woods. I like better. I know, I know, right? It's more entertaining. But I don't hate Home Sweet Home anymore. Maybe I've just grown accustomed to how silly it is. But it is what it is. Uh, yeah, Home Sweet Home, 1981, Video Nasty, Body by Jake, Killing Some People on Thanksgiving. All right, next up from 1981 is, of course, the Enyo G. Castellari Killer Shark movie. Great White, a.k.a. The Last Shark, a.k.a. The Last Jaws, and this is a Swedish DVD. It's rated 15. I actually watched the HD print you can watch now. Um, that is kind of like a, a weird kind of hybrid. It's a little shorter, but it's just like minor edits, but it has like a scene here or there. So yeah, this one is an absolute ridiculous movie. Kind of know the history of this one. Basically, The Last Shark was 
uh, in theaters in 1981. It was doing fairly well. Universal noticed it and said, what the fuck? This is a major ripoff of Jaws. And it is. And they had it pulled. It's never really had a release after that. It's kind of never really been seen in the United States widely. People, of course, have gotten copies. You can see it anywhere online and whatnot. It stars James Franciscus, who is in stuff like Beneath Planet of the Apes. He's in Four Flies on Grave. No, he's in uh, Cat O'Nine Tales. My, 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 by my pardon, he's in um, Killer Fish by uh, Antonio Margariti. Uh, yeah, James Franciscus is in a lot of films. He's in a couple from 1970 that I watched. What was the one, Night Slave? What was it called? I can't remember. Night Slave, maybe. And it also stars Vic Morrow. And I love that it has Vic Morrow in it because Vic Morrow in 1980 was in Humanoids from the Deep, uh, one of my favorites. And then in 81, he's in The Last Shark. I feel like he just was in the, in the water already. He's like, I'll stay. I'll do The Last Shark, too. I'm already wet. I'm already wet. Right, right. I'll get in the pool again. But uh, and then, you know, 82, 83, he made the Twilight Zone and had his tragic end. Vic Morrow's a great character actor. He's in a slew of movies, you know, from Dirty Crazy, uh, Dirty La- uh, Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. He's just in a lot of good stuff. and He always turns in a good performance. Um, his performance here is kind of inspired by Quint. Obviously, Robert Shaw from Jaws. Uh, precautions were made precautions were made he has this scottish accent whatever the fuck it's hilarious so essentially what we have here is a jaws storyline right um where we have this giant shark and he starts killing wind sailors or some shit there's a giant regatta with wind sailing coming on and all the people uh coming up and all the people that are in the audience are waving confederate flags what the fuck um hey it's 80s baby 81 uh what the fuck right but uh maybe it's south i don't remember where this takes place at but uh it's very silly it's an italian movie obviously trying to be more american it's like what americans do they they wave the they wave the confederate flag that's what they do okay um and then they have pasta while they watch the super bowl so essentially uh basically there's a big regatta with this wind sailing competition here the mayor's son's in it the mayor is really yeah kind of like they tell him they warn him there's a giant shark out there Poo-poo, he gives him the old kind of Jaws treatment. We're not canceling the regatta. Uh, there's also a media-hungry monster out there, you know, who's waiting for, you know, a killer shark so he can film it and get all of it on video. Of course, you got to have that after Cannibal Holocaust. you got to have the nasty media that wants to, you know, uh, exploit everyone. So, basically, that's the last shark. And uh, at first, I, the one thing that's different about Jaws is after the shark attacks and kills some people, the mayor's like, shit, you guys are right. We got to get rid of this shark. And uh, it's uh, so, so there's a change there. Um, the mayor has an amazing demise. Um, Romano Pupo shows up at the end as a badass assassin who doesn't fare too well against the killer shark. Uh, also, I cannot think of the actor's name, but the poor sap uh, gets killed by the shark. And he gets killed by the killer crocodile a few years later, which is great. Uh, man, you got killed by an Italian shark and an Italian crocodile. This guy's luck in the water is not very good at, at Italian films. But this is the entertaining Jaws ripoff. Um, when you're talking about Italian Jaws ripoffs, it's the best. Some people like Cruel Jaws, but I, I think Cruel Jaws is actually just a bad movie that's kind of funny. I actually think The Last Shark or The Last Jaws is kind of entertaining, and I always liked it. So, And Vic Morrow I enjoy. James Franciscus I enjoy. So this one's actually a solid movie to me as far as ripoffs are concerned, especially Italian ripoffs offs it's entertaining stuff what can i say um now that dvd is probably long out of print i think there was going to be a blu-ray overseas somewhere i don't know um if you guys know anything about a nice release of last shark i'd like to pick one up on blu-ray i do enjoy the film myself um yeah there's a decent amount a decent kill count at the end and it's it's an entertaining movie it's the last shark and yoji castellari who um 
has done a bunch of action films and westerns like Kioma and all these post-apocalyptic movies. Um, the Last Shark is probably not one of his best films, but I enjoy it quite a bit. So yeah, check it out. It's very entertaining. Um, it's very much a Jaws ripoff. I think it's the best of the Italian Jaws ripoffs over tentacles, even though it's not a, a, a you know shark, but still it's better than Monster Shark, aka Devilfish. It's better than Last Shark. It's better than Deep blood it's better than i feel like i'm missing one somewhere but anyways this is an entertaining movie check it out okay the last one from 1981 is yes faces of death part two now normally i don't watch the shockumentaries or the death films but i i remember watching faces of death part one years ago and a lot of the footage was fake and i kind of thought it was you know, charming. You know, I don't hate the first face of the death. It's its place in history is kind of important, especially. And, you know, I don't think I had ever seen the sequels, two, three, four, five. I know there's more than that, but let's just keep it with the first five when we go through the 80s. That's probably all I'm going to watch. Um, and I don't know if I can stomach the traces of death when I hit the 90s. I really don't know. Those are pretty nasty. Um, just for the sole purpose of tasteless they are. Although these are probably as tasteless, but they're just done a little bit more finesse. So uh, the first faces of death was this uh, documentary about death, you know, in a Mondo style style like Mondo Kani or something along those lines but it was fake footage completely mostly fake footage complete bullshit right uh, the second one is mostly real footage except a drugstore scene it's so obvious it's fake they interview this lady and she's like I don't know they had gun it's just like this is terrible acting like especially when you're watching a bunch of real footage so we have Francis B. Gross is coming back and he's kind of narrating it and it's just strung along a bunch of news footage and random scenes of death and he's just kind of narrating over it kind of like make your own kind of story bullshit and similar to Mondo Kani Mondo Kani had Riz Ortolani's score and it had a sense of you know wow this is different this is weird faces of death too does not have that sense of wow this is different this is weird um and all of them are real but um some of the footage i think was kind of interesting the avalanche stuff i was like wow i don't think i've ever seen anyone die in an avalanche or the aftermath and seeing that stuff kind of resonated as horrifying and disgusting to me i mean it is what it is it's a death documentary of course there's animal killing in it um but if you've seen any italian films from the jungle kind of the entries you know what it's in i don't enjoy watching any of that isn't that funny how you can just watch people die you know and everyday life and just accidents and stuff and disasters and when they do stunts you're like oh it's fucked up but then when you see like animals killed for pleasure or killed for fur you're like Ugh, or scientific experiments really unpleasant shit but it is what it is right um there's like some unpleasant stuff but towards the end they get into like the big environmental stuff where they're saying killing the environment you know it's like the faces of death the the last segment is the, the death of the environment um it's just funny you know it's 81 and there's still the same storylines and all this kind of stuff people telling you watch the environment yada 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 they're like we only have a shelf life of 100 years i'm holding you to it when it comes if i'm still alive in 2081 which i won't be i'm gonna sue faces of death two guys and make sure that we we have destroyed the planet right if we haven't but uh they say we'll just be in a toxic waste stuff all that kind of stuff right so it's weird it, it's very broad like it doesn't it's supposed to be about death which is a broad subject but it's like we have animal killings we have fucking avalanche fucking disasters we have a guy dying in a boxing match we have stunts gone wrong stunts gone right or stunts gone wrong but people survive it's like what are we even doing here um it's not horrible it's not the worst thing ever it's just short and it's just uh we have some executions at the very end so it's just a smorgasbord of random deaths uh, and you know the first one has its charm because they're recreations or, or made up and you're just like this is so bizarre it's so weird uh this one doesn't have the same charm it seems to be kind of just a cheap shock documentary which i hope the others ones aren't as cheap i guess um it's not horrible though i didn't hate it it's just like eh it is what it is i mean cashing on the success of the first one you might as well um and the cover art was always in the video stores you saw all the cover art with the skulls on there um just people like holy shit i remember seeing those cover arts always just like 
they always caught your attention and i know they're a huge video store staple so it's almost like i have to cover them when i go in over the 1980s but face of death part two it's only like an hour and 15 20 minutes so if, if it's up your alley check it out Okay, the Patreon pick is from 2013-2014, and this is Revelation Trail, and I believe uh, Jonathan Wilhelm picked this, and I had not heard much about this. It is a period piece um, zombie film, old western zombie film. I'm not going to give it the weekly western, because I kind of... To kind of put that in, the, in certain movies that I really like. You know what I mean? That's kind of my thing. Um, now, Revelation Trail, it's an independent movie. It's on a budget. That's hard to do with a, you know, with a, with a Western period piece. It's kind of an epic film. It's like an hour and 46 minutes long. I think it's too long. I'm going to be honest. Um, and now maybe it's my short attention span. I lost interest in this pretty damn quick. About an, It's an hour and 46 minutes. I was like 30, 40 minutes. I was like, I think I've had enough. I think I know what this is. Um, but what we have here is this preacher and kind of, we have a story where he's kind of telling the story back. Right. So we know he survives. He's all scarred up and haggard. And he's like, Oh, basically I'm going to, he gives this big giant story about how the dead came to life, how it started with his family and all these kind of things and how he suffered loss, but he's kind of still held his weird kind of warped sense of faith during the zombie apocalypse. So basically the main story follows him and the sheriff and they survive by shooting a bunch of zombies and talking to each other and telling these stories of each other and a lot of male bonding and a lot of like, what, what is life? What is this? What is all this? And there's stories where they have these long monologues, especially the sheriff, for like five, ten minutes. The sheriff, I think, is the stronger actor of the two. I think that his character is the better written character as well, more interesting character. And I kind of found myself enjoying him in the film. And I, not so much anyone else. Now, eventually, they do come to the point where they kind of run into, like, I guess, a period piece, Rhodes, who runs this kind of military base uh, with Iron Fist, and he sacrifices who he can, when he can, whatever. You, you listen to him or you die. And, of course, this is going to come to a head. It's very much like 28 Days Later or Day of the Dead in that sense. Very inspired, I imagine, by that. But a period piece, which kind of is cool. Like I said, I got to give take my hats off to him because it's a period piece, you know, and it has a lot of extras and a lot of zombies and a lot of things getting shot which is kind of cool uh, for the most part like a lot of that stuff is decent um but it is way too long and i'm not like just saying it's like dave but uh, no attention it's like it's not interesting enough to be this long and, and that's probably just because i've seen ten thousand zombie movies and i zombie movies are my favorite but it's not doing anything special for me now the period piece itself and the gimmick that's like oh that can keep my interest for a bit but after a while it starts to wane it starts to wane where they're point, and I'm not talking about John Wayne. It starts to wane, right? Where you know we ride in there, we shoot some zombies, we bury them. And I saw somebody review that, and I was like, yeah, that's a lot of like 30, 40 minutes of this movie. We have that, and we talk over the corpses and talk to each other, um, and then we kind of come to a head with this. The very ending opens it up like it like leaves it open like this is some kind of serious like superhero movie, and it's just like over the top, and it's just like yeah, I don't know, and I'm not trying to point out any actors. These are big shoes to fill for the lead actor, and I don't know if he's got what it takes. That could easily just be the writing. It could be the ADRing. It could be the way the sounds recorded. A lot of the times, it doesn't sound very convincing, and I, and sometimes it sounds fine. Like I'm just saying, maybe that's just very much the ADR kind of takes away from his performance. If there is ADR, it sure sounds like there's ADR, but I'm just not sure. That's how he's supposed to kind of deliver his lines and carry himself. Overall, I thought the movie's okay. Um, you can rent it on YouTube. That's where I had to rent it. It's not really available. You could probably buy it as well, but you know, I rented it and I. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I recommend a rental. Uh, check out the trailer if it sounds like it's up your alley. If you like independent zombie movies, which I do, and you love westerns, which I do, maybe give this one a shot. Uh, I didn't love it, um, but you may. So check it out, Revelation Trail. All right, here are questions, comments, concerns. Uh, Petri Lampala, Dead and Buried was completely written by Rod Sudset. He wanted O'Bannon's name in the movie because he thought it would probably be more recognizable. O'Bannon made some additions to the script that would justify using his name in the credits, but none of those changes were featured in the final film. 
one of my favorite zombie movies ever for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know why. You know, I had the VHS. I watched it on VHS. I had the DVD. When I got the 4K, I listened to the commentary by Nathaniel Thompson and Troy Haworth. I probably knew that. I don't know why. I forgot it when I went to watch the new, watch it again. Regardless, yeah, um, I apologize for that. Sorry about that, guys. I'm not perfect. Um, and he says, when watching his interviews, I always think he, uh, Ron Shusett seems like the nicest person on earth and his childlike enthusiasm every time he tells, has childlike enthusiasm every time he tells a story. But I feel like he was overshadowed by Dan O'Bannon, who was such an eccentric and quirky character. Ron also came up with the whole face hugger, chest burster thing, an alien when O'Bannon was struck with how to get the creature on the ship. Okay. A um, says, I enjoy your takes. Peace. Talk to you next week. And he also says, Song of the Week, Time Cop 1983, My First Crush. And he says, 1981. And I, we were talking about, he thought that Dead and Buried was a giant kind of anti-marijuana kind of deal. And I just didn't see it. And I just don't understand where he was getting at with it. And I just don't get his grasp on it. I don't see it. And he says here, all he says is, during hand harvesting, live cannabis plants, flowering buds, as opposed to dried plants, buds are rubbed between the palms of the harvester's hands to make charas. I, I think he's referring to something... I thought he said cannibals at, at one point in there, and maybe I, he didn't, and I misread it, so apologize, but I didn't ask for that meaning, and that doesn't explain the theory, to me, at least. I'd have to see it. We'd have to discuss it. I'm just not following you on that. Um, Robert Williams, no disrespect, but you are very handsome. Thank you. Um, even with the glasses. Sorry, guys, I'm waiting on new contacts. Ken Coakley. I am lucky enough to have seen Escape from New York at the drive-in with the Exterminator. I saw an interview with John Carpenter who said that Charles Bronson was the original choice to play Snake Plissken, which would have made it a completely different movie, no doubt. A few years ago, I had heard that it was going to be remade with Zac Efron. A year or so later, they said Norman Reedus. Now I hear that Carpenter and Russell are going to do one more Plis Snake Plissken movie. The cast was truly amazing. George Buck, a Carpenter regular, was a drunk wearing the president's uh, tracking bracelet. Love, love him. I forgot he was in that. I'm the president. And Holmes hailed to the chief. Kurt Russell's first wife, uh, Susan Hubley, played the girl in Chock Full of Nuts. I thought the mutant that approached Pliskin was Steve Buscemi, but it was another guy. This is in my top three Carpenter films. I love Buck Flower. He's, he's the best in the fog. There ain't no fog bank out there. Wait. There's a fog bank out there. Uh, my favorite is Halloween, then is Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness would be number one, but Halloween's my sentimental favorite. I love the Brotherhood of Sleep sequences. That was just about the scariest thing I've ever seen. That seems horrifying in Prince of Darkness. One last thing about Escape from New York. Actually, two things. Does anybody know that the president is British? To be the president, you have to be born in the U.S. Maybe he was born in the U.S. then lived abroad like Barack Obama. Now, I mean, yeah, I, I don't. Is he British in the movie, or is that just uh, you know Donald Pleasant's weird accent? I mean, he is British in real life, but you know he does does a strange accent. Did Carpenter think he would still use cassettes in 1997? Uh, one last thing. I always thought that Land of the Dead had a vibe similar to Escape from New York with the dark lighting and the electronic score. I'm planning to do a John Carpenter marathon the past some time now that I have. Now that I have COVID, I'm sorry. Hope you get better quick. Most people sleep through it, but I can't, so I'm trying to watch a lot of movies. Petrie, I hope you get better. Petrie Lambella, I challenge your weird carpenter taste. He's probably my favorite director of all time, but my top two movies from him are Dark Star and The Fog. I can't help but laugh out loud every time I watch Dark Star after 40 years since I first saw it. it has to be my favorite comedy with The Life of Brian. I love ghosts, zombies, beautiful cinematography, and Tom Hankins and The Fog has it all. And it just oozes with atmosphere. Escape from New York never really did it for me, but now as I watched the review, I started to think about watching all the carpenter movies in chronological order. Hmm. Ken Coakley, I always confuse the movie JC with another movie, The Jesus Trip, which came out a year earlier. They're both biker movies, and the title J 
JC could be misconstructed as being the initials for Jesus Christ. One great thing about JC is not only the fact that Slim Pickens was in it, but also the fact that the film was distributed by AFCO Embassy, the distributors of The Fog, Howling, Phantasm, Exterminator, Escape from New York, among others. Uh, of course. Uh, Nick Mool, I've always felt Road Games was sort of Jamie Lee Curtis's best work. Apparently she enjoyed doing this horror outing because it was classy. I might upgrade and get the indicator version that release. That their releases are excellent, and they're 3 for 20. Deal, a dream come true. Questions. Have you been experiencing problems with Second Sight? There seems to be delivery problems outside the UK. No, I haven't. Um, I ordered my Martin from Diabolic, though. What was what has been your favorite vinegar release this year? From Beyond is pretty damn sweet, I tell you. Um, there's lots that I, I want to dive into and watch, movies that I adore that got released, but From Beyond was pretty awesome. Um, if you won't grow a mullet for an 80s tribute, will Jeremy, maybe one of the cats? No one's growing a fucking mullet, period. Uh, please keep the 80s content coming. It's such a fun ride, and you're great behind the wheel, sir. Thank you. Uh, Kentucky, Kentuckinator, you're correct. Only Nightmare City can end like Nightmare City. And the dream was a nightmare. Or the nightmare becomes a reality. Love it. Movie Junkie Reviews. Gun Crazy is a good film. Those scenes of them at the bank are harrowing in the ending. It feels like early true crime movie. It's great stuff. Night School was a lot of fun. Finally watched it on TMC months ago. Way better than remembered, man. I'm having that a lot with these 1981 slashers. I'm rewatching them. I'm like, man, they're way better. Like, Night School was way better. And um, Just Before Dawn was way better than I remembered. Subjective, perspective, collective. Night School sounds hilarious. Turtle biting severed head in an aquarium. Student Bodies is one from back when I was a kid. Always cracked me up as well with the killer stepping in the gum bitching and heavy breathing didn't know about the assassination with silva now i gotta place another q order haha <laughs> great stuff as always thank you man and he also has a youtube channel you should check out subjective perspective collective uh seems like a great guy so um i would do a update switch but we only got one title here waiting on a vinegar syndrome order but i had to have this uh full circle aka the haunting of julia on 4k it's a movie that never really had a nice uh wide release blu-ray so i grabbed this um, yeah, from Screen Factory. I don't buy all the Screen Factories, but this one was, I guess, a day one buy. Make fun of me all you want. But uh, I wanted to see this movie forever, and now we finally have a nice uh, edition of it. Uh, Haunting of Julie. Great stuff. Great stuff. And, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Thanks.